Wine and Crime contains graphic and explicit content which may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. podcast where three friends chug wine, chat true crime, and unleash their worst Minnesotan accents. Sure do. My God. And full disclosure, we are attempting to record this before noon, so we're all a hot mess. I've been up since 7.30. I went to get my prescriptions today. I took a shower. I called the bank. You have mania. I do. Well, I woke up with an upset stomach when my alarm, but right before my alarm went off, because my body responding to being awake before 9 a.m. is like violent nausea. Yep. So I was like, well, I'm up now. Puked a little bit, took a shower. I was like, well. Might as well use the day. Might as well use the fucking day. Oh, my God. Well, I set my alarm for, so we're recording this at 11 a.m. my time. I set my alarm for 8.30. Mm-hmm. I woke up when you texted 20 minutes before time. Which Everybody's I did intentionally awake, right? to make sure you were awake specifically. Slap, that wasn't targeted to me. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know who I am. <laughs> There's no evolution, but no. there is awareness. Right. right yeah. Right. Yeah. No improvement. No. But you accept it it's a part of your identity. I can't Children help it. will change you one day by force. Maybe. Or I'll you just won't have like weird it. little night owls. Oh god. Oh god. I mean the reason I worse. am this way is because my mom's a single mom. Mm-hmm. She worked a lot of different jobs, weird hours, and mm-hmm. I was up late and slept in late and like she brought me to one daycare where they were like, it's nap time. And she was like, she just woke up. <laughs> it's not like, going to happen. <laughs> Stop <laughs> trying to make nap happen. It's not going to happen. Like, this is this schedule is not going to work. She had to fully change me to a different daycare. I love because it. Because my... Fall so, out. It's who I am. Speaking of who you are. Oh. I'm that Kenyan. was my fault. I derailed it. That was not you. Hi, Kenyon. Hi. I'm Lucy. I'm Amanda. My, my, I'm Amanda. <laughs> <laughs> it's who I am. It's who I it's am. It's what it's. It is, it's what it's. So we have a very special fan pick brought to you this week by Allie Johnson. Oh, yeah. And I'm Allie. I'm excited for this. Also, mm-hmm. this airs like on or around Halloween, right? Oh, I think I so. I think so. In the ballpark. Close mm-hmm. to Halloween. In the so, ballpark. Allie has selected the topic of suspected Satanists. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So there's going to be a little bit of satanic panic, but also a little bit of like signs, soup, deaf point towards the occult. Oh, not in my case. Oh, in my case. They really missed the mark in my case. <laughs> They really <laughs> fucked up. There are lots of different reasons one might suspect Satanists, but most actual practicing Satanists, totally fine. Yeah, we'll get to it. Satanists yeah. are super chill. Yes. Satanists fuck. They're Satanists basically fuck. Lutherans, but without the God. Yeah, they are. Just chilling. Like, 
Lutherans. Okay, mm-hmm. so let's get right to our wine crime pairing, Amanda. They might beg to differ, but... <laughs> I mean, yeah, obviously. I mean, clearly we're not fucking drinking wine this morning. Deal yeah. with it. It, it, it. It's what it's. We're 34. Mm-hmm. I, I got already, OJ. Oh, nice. I already puked this morning. I'm not doing it to myself again before noon. But I wanted to honor one of our favorite people in the world today by making my own little take on a London Fog latte a la M. Schultz oven. That's why we drink. M loves the London Fog. Big time. So mine is not technically a London Fog because it's an English breakfast, like a nice, strong English breakfast tea. Mm -hmm. But I like, I don't have a steamer, but I heated up my uh, almond milk Mm -hmm. and just a little dash of vanilla. And it is... Working. That sounds great. Mm. I usually don't take milk in my tea unless it's chai, mm. but that sounds really good. It's so good. And if you let that uh, those like black teas steep longer, mm. then the milk isn't just tasting like watered down milk. Because I've had that problem with milk in tea before as well, where it just yeah. kind of tastes like wet milk. Yeah, <laughs> British people right now are probably like screaming because yeah. they have like a whole a ritual. They have a tea altar in their mm-hmm. homes. It yeah. is suspected Satanism. And Americans <laughs> tea there. Americans, There's a lot of never, ritual. We never let our tea steep long enough in right. British opinion. Ever. I will use the American quick fix of two tea bags mm-hmm. oh, for that's a nice. stronger flavor, but still fast results. Yeah, yeah. We're a little impatient here mm-hmm. stateside. I did buy, okay, one more tea fact, and then I swear we'll get to the episode. I did buy <laughs> hashtag tea, tea, bag. tea facts. Hashtag tea bags. <laughs> I bought this chai black tea mm. at Target, mm-hmm. and it's really good. It's yeah. like the Target good and gather whatever mm-hmm. chai black tea. It's so good. I love. Check it out. Yes. Okay. Well, great job. You did it. We That's did it. it. That's my wine crime pairing. <laughs> Cheers, everyone. Cheers. Cheers. Sometimes you gotta drink non-alcoholic beverages too. Sometimes you do. You got to nourish your, your body. body. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You got to gotta care for your vessel. Once a year, <laughs> we care fragile. for our vessel. <laughs> yeah, my vessel's hanging on by a, a thread. thread. Mm-hmm. All right, Lucy, what is our background and maybe psych for suspected Satanists? Um, there's no psych. I suspected that. <laughs> there's a lot going on here. So yeah, I am mostly going to cover like the roots of modern day Satanism. Great. Cool. Love it. So Satanism is defined as any of various religious or countercultural practices and movements centered on the figure of Satan, the devil regarded <laughs> in Christianity and Judaism as the embodiment of absolute evil. That's interesting because I feel like a lot of Jews would say that there is no Satan or devil in their belief structure. Well, we'll get to it. Okay. A little bit. It's more to do with like the dichotomy of good and evil. Okay. Okay. Which is fairly unique to Judaism and Christianity in terms of like historical religious 
concept. Yeah. Hierarchies. And like polytheistic religions, it's like all the gods are kind of good and evil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They Got contain it. multitudes. Yep. Got yep. it. Yep. Satanism is a modern, largely non-theistic religion based on literary, artistic, and philosophical interpretations of the central figure of evil, a.k.a. the devil. Mm-hmm. To Christians, sinners are sent to hell, which is Satan's domain. In hell, sinners suffer fiery torture and sadistic suffering for all of time, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) It might seem logical in a moral binary sense that we are accustomed to in modern times, but actually the devil didn't appear until the dualistic doctrine of ancient Zoroastrianism. Very hard to say. (laughs) The mask of Zoroastrianism. Glad we're not drinking today. (laughs) Zoroastrianism. Zoroastrianism. (laughs) Is a pre-Islamic religion that thrived in what is now India at the time Persia, and it was marked by both monotheistic and dualistic characteristics. It also had a big ol' influence on both Christianity and Judaism. Mm -hmm. I had to do some research about Zoroastrianism at the food magazine that I used to work at. For like a holiday segment? Like Uh, one of my regular columns was about global cuisine. Mm. And one of the recipes that I was making was like a like a braised lamb stew kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And I had to interview the woman who came up with the recipe, and it was like this family recipe. I had to go all over town looking for like specific spices. It was wow. very cool. Ooh, I like that. So I wrote this whole thing about Zoroastrianism, and my editor was like, "This is not this the, is a this lot. This is not the assignment. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is not gonna be one of our main articles. <laughs> so <laughs> this is why I love my job now. I get to talk about." What I think is interesting Mm -hmm. and not just this fucking spice that most readers hadn't heard of before. Mm -hmm. God forbid I go into the cultural importance of it. Oh, right. (laughs) Jesus. What were you thinking? I've broken the chains Mm. of consumer magazines. Get it. Get it. (laughs) Okay, so Zoroastrianism, by the way, also influenced Pythagoras and varying levels of astrology and magic and mathematics. So I think that's very cool. Obviously, I think that's cool. Yeah. I like two out of three of those things. Yeah, Uh mathematics not being one of them. (laughs) Well, yeah, and I'm going to sound like a huge dork, but what do you... (laughs) When you think about it at the the time... The history of math is basically magic. Yeah, I can appreciate that and hate it. Yeah. That's yeah, fine. I'm not if a monster. Could, if they <laughs> taught us math in the from magical a way, standpoint, would've I would have been, been way more into it. Would have been yeah. into it if they were like, th- we didn't know anything, and then we wanted to like build shit, and so we had to like figure it out, and mm-hmm. like literally like a handful of individual mm-hmm. humans. Figured it out. And all of a sudden, we had global commerce. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I would have been way more into it. Mm -hmm. Math is fucking wild, Mm y'all. Okay. Yeah. No more consumer magazines for me. Okay. Then we see the devil in Jewish Kabbalism. Kabbalism? Uh, Probably Kabbalism. Kabbalah. Jewish Kabbalism. I'm going (laughs) to be neutral about it. 
Uh, and he's named Satan in the Bible's book of Enoch, which uh, where he is one of the members of a group of fallen angels called the Watchers. Mm. Sounds like a Marvel comic. Absolutely. It, really does. it probably is. Probably. <laughs> yeah. Who watches the Watchers? Yeah. <laughs> the Watchmen. Yeah. In the book of Revelations in the New Testament, he's described as the ultimate evil. And this Christian New Testament reference is where the modern perception of Satan kind of stems from. Classic. Dante's Inferno is an early example of Satan being sort of a romantic anti-hero. And you may have heard of Baphomet, Mm -hmm. who is an enduring satanic symbol created by occult author Eliphas Levy. Very Got much it. featured in the acclaimed film Hereditary. Oh, I've never heard of this. I'm baffled. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, lots nice. of lots of baphomet, <laughs> baffling baphomets in Hereditary. I had to Google it after I saw the movie to like fully piece together what it's the a fuck lot. just happened. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. So Levy describes him as the horned goat deity named Baphomet in his 1854 book, Dogma et Rituel. Et to Dogma et Rituel. (laughs) Yes, which linked Baphomet with Satan. And this was probably a French misinterpretation of the name Mohammed, Mm. where they got Baphomet. But he was the deity that the Knights Templar were accused of worshipping in trials in the 14th century. Ah... In the 19th century, William Blake's Paradise Lost was another early modern rendition of Satan. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of a modern, uh, the way we think of Satan now is fairly modern. Really has not existed that long. Like no. Satan and Santa Claus are like contemporaries. Coca-Cola invented them both. <laughs> <laughs> the Coca-Cola Christmas like Satan bears. Yeah, like not far off. <laughs> So technically, Satanism wasn't a thing until the 1960s. Historically, it was just known as devil worship. And Mm. like I said before, unique to the Judeo-Christian devil and the explicit rejection of God and Jesus Christ. It was based on the black mass and ritual magic practices. Mm. Satanical cults have been documented in Europe and North America dating back to the 17th century. But it's really hard to tell the accuracy of numbers and prevalence of these groups because they've definitely been exaggerated by other religious groups, particularly Christians. Sure. Mm, they worship the devil. Mm-hmm. So is it basically just like a, for lack of a better word, like perversion or I guess inversion of like Wicca or like, you know, traditional pagan practices, but then so infused with like the Christian framework that they had to like flip it on its head i would say it's a deep fundamental misunderstanding of pagan practices on some levels Mm -hmm. but it's also just in general othering groups Mm. like the way that it's been exaggerated well here Mm -hmm. let me just read this quote this is from my lover encyclopedia britannica roman catholic churchmen readily attributed satanism to witches and to such heretics as the Gnostics, Cathari, and Bogomils. I had not heard of those last two, but basically both of these groups believed that the material world is inherently evil. So when the Catholic Church, for example, was sort of revamping its image and there were all these riches and 
robes and beautiful right. churches. They were mm-hmm. like, no, that's not what goodness is about. That's not what we want to be about. And the mm-hmm. church was like, well, fuck you. You worship the devil now. Congrats. Mm-hmm. But that charge does not correspond to the heretics' own understanding of their beliefs and the alleged Satanism of those persecuted in the heyday of witch burning may rest on no better foundation than the overheated imagination of witch finders and confessions obtained by torture, a la the Salem witch trials. I need to look up witchfinders.com because I feel like that needs to exist. Oh, it probably does. I'm going to scoot over my John Travolta, Travolta fi <laughs> name generator and search for witchfinders.com. Your search history. I need yeah. to throw out my computer and burn my house. <gasps> the domain is available. I could Get buy it, it for $3,000. Why is it so expensive? I'm not doing that. No, of course <laughs> no, not. We're not doing that. GoDaddy would never do that to you. No, but huge (laughs) domains would, apparently. (laughs) Huge. So modern witchcraft and neo-paganism are not to be confused with historical Satanism, Mm -hmm. to your point. Very different. Since those groups worship non-Judeo-Christian deities. And they don't even believe in Satan or the devil. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. I'm agreeing with you. It's not that. Yeah. 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 Historical Satanism as devotion to the Judeo-Christian source of evil can exist only in symbiosis with that tradition because it shares but inverts its worldview. Ah. So periodically, mainly the Christian church would include so-called devil worshipers during times include, I think I meant exclude. What am I saying? Whatever. I wrote this. This is completely my fault. (laughs) (laughs) So these would ramp up during times when they were persecuting other religious groups, Mm -hmm. such as during the Black Death, Mm -hmm. the Spanish Inquisition, various witch hysterias in Europe and colonial America, and the Satanic Panic in the 1980s, which I will refresh our memories on in just Mm -hmm. a moment. Also, the French aristocracy under Louis XIV, the 14th, was positively titillated by tales of nude demonic rituals Mm. and the prim and proper Victorian period also saw a spike in interest too. I mean, it makes a good story. I will give you that. It's titillating. It's very titillating. And Mm -hmm. for folks who are so, like Lucy said, like so steeped in the Christian worldview, Mm -hmm. it makes sense that the way that they would rebel would still be colored by that worldview. Right. It's such like a binary, you're yeah. either, like it's it's either bad. God or Satan, good or bad. Right. Like very it would have been like more radical to be like atheist right. than Satanist. Right, because the Satanism still alludes to a belief in a God, a higher God, yeah. and like we'll a Christian God. Very we'll interesting. It. Very yeah. interesting. Uh, that's why I'm not that into it. I mean, I feel like I'm it freaked out by like most organized religion, but yeah. some are just so much more <laughs> understandable and like gentle than others. Christianity I'm, is horrifying to it, me. Yeah. It's not my jam. It, it scares the shit not out of me. Not my jam, but you do you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we have talked about Satanic Panic in, I think, the board games episode that we did because we talked about Dungeons and Dragons, but here's mm-hmm. just a quick little I feel like we've recap. also done, like, I don't know, a Satan, more Satanism episode. But yeah, we've definitely covered this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the Satanic Panic is a moral panic over thousands of unsubstantiated incidents of SRA 
or Satanic Ritual Abuse. There's a fucking acronym for it. Jesus. The panic started in the U.S. around the 80s with a book called Michelle Remembers, Mm -hmm. which was co-written by a Canadian psychiatrist with and about his patient, later his wife, Mm -hmm. Michelle Smith. That's not ethical. Well, wasn't no, it like none of this helping it's, them rediscover memories? Mm-hmm. Basically, mm-hmm. he purported to use recovered memory therapy, which yep. has since been proven to be complete bullshit. To Absolute get Michelle nonsense. to talk about the SRA that she experienced earlier in her life. Mm-hmm. So this panic took hold in the U.S. and eventually worldwide, with the most dramatic allegations. Being a conspiracy of a global satanic cult, including the wealthy and powerful world elite and Hollywood that traffics children for human sacrifices, pornography, and sexual abuses. This sounds familiar. and pizza parlors. QAnon and Pizzagate have been around for a long fucking time. This is one of the like first political conspiracies. Regurgitated under Mm -hmm. the sun. No, we just repeat our same bullshit over and over Mm -hmm. again and never fucking learn. People are so fucking stupid. Okay. (laughs) And when you peel back enough layers, the core is usually Mm -hmm. anti-Semitism. Yeah, some form of white supremacy, which Mm -hmm. includes all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't until the early 20th century that Satan really became a pop culture icon that we know him as today. God bless. This is from history.com. Legendary occultist Aleister Crowley viewed Satan symbolically. His 1913 poem called A Hymn to Lucifer celebrated the devil as the provider of soul and rebellion to the universe. So they just did an episode on Aleister Crowley in Stuff You Missed in History class. And it was very interesting. That's a great Check it out. It like just came out, that episode. Cool. So Crowley's ideas were influential in Satanism. One offshoot from this crowd was the German group Frater- Fraternitas Saturni in 1926. Its founder was Gregor A. Gregorius, and he wrote Satanish Mag- Magi. I'm nailing all of this. It's German. I don't know. Which borrowed heavily from the Romantics and adopted Satan within the group's astrological system. That group still exists, and Gregorius's writing has been used in Satanist practices. Cool. But the official Satanic Church, the Church of Satan, was formed by Anton LaVey, a San Francisco native who, according to some, left high school— Don't do this, kids. (laughs) Left high school to join the circus and was subsequently employed as a psychic and nightclub organist. Oh. (laughs) Wait, nightclub, like, played the organ at a nightclub? Yes. (laughs) I need to go to that nightclub immediately. (laughs) Where? I mean, it was the 60s, baby. (laughs) Like, look, I'm not going to lie. Like, don't do that, kids. But But maybe do it. You'll rack up some life experience. Yeah. You know what? Might go on to start your own church. Go. Be free. (laughs) Play your organ in a nightclub, <laughs> but an actual like instrument organ, yeah, because that could really sound like I'm saying go jack off publicly in a nightclub, and that's not there's what I mean. There's some. So, do you guys remember the show Wife Swap? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the the voiceover person was like really mocking sometimes. Yeah. Yes, so, like at the beginning of one episode, mocking. yeah, <laughs> they're introducing like. 
kind of the loser family. Mm-hmm. You know, there's like the overachiever family and then kind of the lazy family. Yeah. <laughs> they were introducing this nerdy fucking dad. And he, the, the voiceover guy was like, Meanwhile, Brian plays with his organ in the basement all day. <laughs> and he's like playing on an, on an organ. Yeah. It's like you chose your words very intentionally. And we see you. So fucking good. Okay. So Anton LaVey developed an interest in the occult and in 1966 dubbed himself the high priest of the Church of Satan. You can just be the high whatever you want of whatever church of whatever you want. It's San Fran in the 60s. There were no rules. Mm -hmm. It was the Wild West. (laughs) Yeah. Three years later, he published the Satanic Bible. Again, here's a quote from Encyclopedia Britannica. LaVey presented Satanism not as the practice of evil or as the worship of an actual antichrist, but as a kind of ethical egoism. Mm. Because like we were saying, in order to believe in Satan, you have to believe in God. Right. And that sort of binary worldview doesn't always work for, you know, mm-hmm. Satanists or practices, practicers of the occult. Mm-hmm. Okay. According to LaVey, traditional religions were fundamentally hypocritical and dangerous, inhibited by the physical tendencies and emotional needs that were vital to human life. Mm-hmm. He claimed that his brand of Satanism was inspired by having noticed as a teenager that the men he saw at church on Sunday praying for God, praying to God for absolution were the same ones he had seen at burlesque shows on Saturday night. Mm-hmm. He's not wrong. Mm-hmm. LaVey's Satanism was, in fact, atheistic. The opposition between God and Satan represented for him the struggle between hypocrisy and repression on the one hand and indulgence and liberation on the other. So it's just more hedonism. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And actually, if you go to the drive, I have three pictures of Anton LaVey. They are labeled Anton 1, 2, and 3. Okay. And he is very dramatic. He looks like Vincent Price. Oh, He's got like a... Oh, yeah. Like a stash. I really see sharp this guy. eyebrows. Not like in real life, but like photos of him. He has yeah. a flair for I the want dramatic. That silk blouse. That is a good blouse. Is really good. Yeah. But I didn't love a he do some top. shit that really wasn't great. Oh, I'm sure he's terrible. And not he's ethical. a white man with bad facial yeah, hair. And like power. Yeah. yeah. Look at oh. his little devil elf costume. His Halloween He's, costume. He does. I like no. the one of him with the snake. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, no. I'm sure he was a horrible person. Well, yeah. I he, I know that he lied about having relationships with Marilyn Monroe and uh, Jane Mansfield. Mm-hmm. But so whatever. So not great. No, but he but knows I also how to dress. I didn't go too in-depth with Anton LaVey because... <laughs> That wasn't what I chose to focus on this yeah. week. So just <laughs> and here's a bursting his bubble a little bit. This is an incredible uh, time review of LaVey from 1972. Yes. So, I love a scathing review in the Times. Yeah. <laughs> LaVey's church and its branches might well be called the Unitarian wing of the occult. Mm. The members invest themselves with some of the most flamboyant trappings of occultism, but magic for them is mostly psychodrama or plain old carnival hokum. Mm. They invoke Satan not as a supernatural being, but as a symbol of man's self-gratifying ego, which is what they really worship. They look down on those who actually believe in the supernatural, evil or otherwise, 
Huh. LaVey's church is organized, incorporated, and protected under the laws of California. The most striking thing about the members of the Church of Satan is that instead of being exotic, they are almost banal in their normality. Their most insidious contribution to evil is their resolute commitment to man's animal nature, stripped of any spiritual dimension or thought of self-sacrifice. Under the guise of eschewing hypocrisy, they actively pursue the materialistic values of the affluent society without any twinge of conscience to suggest there might be something more. I'm into it. Yeah. So they're like, we don't actually worship Satan. It's ironic. It's yeah. an ironic hedonist. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, basically. Okay. It's pointing out the hypocrisy of organized mm. religion, essentially, under the guise of an organized religion. It's okay. Minnetonka it's High School's underground, the lost entertainment section of mm-hmm. religion. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's religious satire. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So, yeah. I can respect that. Interesting. not all Satanists people, not all Satanists fit under this category. Yeah. Like the Church of Satan definition. Right. Obviously. But it was, it's just kind of weird and it sort of points to the, well, the hypocrisy of religion in general, but Mm -hmm. also some of the reasons why this sort of moment in pop culture was so easy to people people could easily be blamed for practicing something right. like this because it's it's so ridiculous mm-hmm. and they were trying to get attention and there yep. were like news articles and whatever exactly mm-hmm. so okay that's my segment interesting well done. well done i hope it gives us some good background for what we're going to talk about today. It's very pertinent to my segment, and I do repeat, like, one of the things that you said, but that was awesome. Okay, great. Much appreciated. All right, should we hear a quick word from our sponsors? Let's friggin' do it. Did you know that OBGYNs actually recommend starting prenatal vitamins at least a month before conception? I did not know that until recently. And the thing is, you can't always predict exactly when getting pregnant might happen. Like, that's the hardest part. So that's why Modern Fertility designed their prenatal multivitamin to help you build up your body's levels of key nutrients earlier and help you continue to meet increased nutrient demands all the way through lactation. I think that is so cool. Like, get the vessel ready, baby. Yeah. Preheat the oven. Mm-hmm. The Modern Fertility Prenatal Multivitamin is packed with 12 essential nutrients recommended by OBGYNs to support your body before, during, and after pregnancy. It's a very holistic approach. Mm-hmm. Like, they've got your back through the whole thing. Mm-hmm. These multivitamins are vegetarian, gluten-free, and there are zero preservatives or filler ingredients that, that you just don't need. It's just mm-hmm. everything you need, nothing you don't. Modern Fertility balanced iron and other nutrient levels to keep your tummy happy, and they infuse every capsule with a hint of citrus to make each serving go down extra easy. Oh, love that little, just that little detail makes such a big difference. Well, I've never, I have not been pregnant, but I know that there are a lot of upset tummies involved. Yeah, taking pills sucks. Yeah, so they just make it as easy as possible, and... Like I said, it's just everything that your body needs at that time. 
Mm-hmm. So the prenatal multi also comes with a free, beautiful blue reusable glass jar to keep your monthly refills in. And each month's shipment of new capsules comes in just the pouch. So you're cutting down on packaging waste. Oh, I love that. Love it. Uh, so your prenatal multi subscription gets you 60 capsules per month for $30. But right now, our listeners can get 30% off their starter kit, including one month of capsules and a free glass storage jar. What a deal. Uh, that's modernfertility.com forward slash gals30. That's gals30 for 30% off your modern fertility prenatal multivitamin starter kit. Again, that's modernfertility.com forward slash gals30. And treat your vessel. Treat it. Tis the season of giving. Mm -hmm. After a long, hard 18 months, is that all? (laughs) (laughs) Comfort, (laughs) give or take. Flew by. (laughs) Really. Comfort is what we all crave right now. So give the gift of comfort with Brooklinen this holiday season. I adore Brooklinen. I mean, we all do, but we fought over who got to do the personal experience in this ad read because <laughs> we, for always. we all love Brooklinen so much. I have all my bedding is decked out Brooklinen. I also recently ordered more um, bath sheets. Mm-hmm. So like they're like these plush, amazing, absorbent bath towels, but they're like extra big. So you don't have to like always retuck. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just luxurious and I adore them. And so your loved ones will adore it too because Brooklyn and stuff makes fabulous gifts. Mm-hmm. And what's the best gift, if not the gift of comfort? Whether that's a hug in blanket form and uh, yeah, they have a weighted comforter. Oh. Amazing. Or a whole spa day wrapped around your body, as in their robes. Brooklinen has got options for everyone on your list. And if you're looking for more ways to stay cozy, check out Brooklinen's candles, eye masks. I just got a silk eye mask for myself, treat yourself, Ooh. and other accessories. These are gifts for everyone at every budget. Go big with the super plush towels and the luxe bedding bundle for a family or a puzzle for your best friend's neighbor when they host that holiday party that you're being forced to go to and you don't want to bring a plant that's going to die. Bring them a puzzle. Cute. I like that. (laughs) Brooklinen's goal is to create beautiful, high-quality home essentials that don't cost an arm and a leg, and it's the perfect place to find the best gift. And they got great customer service, so obviously they're getting their eight hours every night Mm because dream to work with. So check out the gift guide to find the perfect present at every price point. Go to brooklinen.com and use promo code GALS to get $20 off with a minimum purchase of $100. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N dot com and enter promo code GALS for $20 off with a minimum purchase of $100. One more time, that's brooklinen.com, promo code GALS, and treat your gifts. Treat Treat them. Are we ready for my case? Yes. I'm sorry. Possibly. I'm sorry I'm doing like bewitched nose, but I have a sneeze that is not, that's percolating. Push it. Okay. Don't. Push it. That's how people have a stroke. Push it out. <laughs> I don't think that's real. <laughs> I don't think I what just you just said up. is real. Yeah. Push it and then it'll get stuck in your stomach and then it'll grow a bubblegum tree. Yeah. And your belly button will turn red. Oh, my God. <laughs> my dad told me that's what happens. Put hair on your chest. If you eat, when you eat cherries, it turns your belly button red. 
Where? Why? Because he wanted my cherries, so he wouldn't let me eat them. <laughs> oh, my God. Monster. <laughs> All right. So this case is pretty famous, but we haven't covered it before. I, ca- I was, like, panicking because I was like, this is too familiar, but it's just a famous case. Mm-hmm. It was the fan picker case, too. Yes. And we've definitely all on tour watched like a Forensic Files episode about this case. Okay. I never remember anything. I have the memory of a goldfish, so I can't wait. You remember all the hype notes in every single song. (laughs) Yeah, but that's that's it. Like, that's taken up residency in my brain. There's no room for anything else. So a lot of I obscure get, office quotes. I get to experience these moments for the first time like a newborn baby. <laughs> Fresh <laughs> from the gift it's, it's both. <laughs> Why not both? <laughs> Who okay. are you? Who are you? <laughs> Just like that. <laughs> All right, Arliss Perry was born Arliss K. Dykema in 1955 and grew up in Bismarck, North Dakota. Oh, she ever is heard crash. of it? There are photos on the drive. Cutie pie. In August of 1974, when she oh, was 19. Oh, look at that smile. I know, isn't she fresh? And Arliss's bangs are amazing. Mm hmm. In August of 1974, when she was 19, she married her high school sweetheart, Bruce Perry, and took his last name. Do you ever think about what your life would be like if you had married your high school sweetheart and then get really bad heartburn and then cry in the shower? (sighs) Yep. Okay. Just making sure it's not just me. It's not just you. Cool. All right. That's it. Nothing else. Nothing to see here. It's not just you. I can see it so clearly. Uh-huh. It actually wouldn't be terrible, but I would not be the wonderful life that yeah, I have. Yeah, I think you'd be okay. I'd be screwed. You'd be screwed. You'd be screwed. I'd be dead. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad I got to whore around a little bit before. Uh huh. <laughs> right. Oh, big, yeah. big same. Yeah. No regrets about. Anyway. <laughs> Getting railed by idiots in college. You got to. <laughs> Just get railed by an idiot. By a fucking moron. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, he doesn't need to talk. So uh, <laughs> it's best if he doesn't. So Bruce was about to start his sophomore year as a pre-med student at Stanford. So not an idiot. Okay. And Arliss joined him when he moved back to campus that fall. And then they moved into married student housing together because that was like a much more common thing. And she found a job working as a receptionist at a local law firm. Mm -hmm. Good for her. Then only about six weeks after their marriage, on the evening of October 12th, 1974. Oh, my God. It's October 12th as we record this. No. Oh, my God. Uh oh. Oh, I just got chills. How many years ago was that? Six, 50. 666. 50, <laughs> 53. 657. Ugh, I gotta pull up my calculator. <laughs> Everything hurts. What is it? 2021? Yep. Yeah. Minus 1974. <laughs> 47 years. Wow. A mere 47 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So anyway. on October 12th, we just Ugh. spooked ourselves for no reason. Fuck. The couple got into an argument. Again, they're fucking 
teenagers who are married. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The child, husband, and bride got into an argument. <laughs> Their Barbies were fighting. <laughs> it was a dumb argument about yeah. whether or not they needed to check their car's tire pressure. You and I'm do. guessing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you need to ask. Yeah, you yeah. do. <laughs> if your wife wants you to check the tire pressure, just mm-hmm. check just the tire pressure. Just fucking do it. Ask for directions. Just do it. (laughs) I've been in this argument. (laughs) Well, I'm about to drive to Omaha with my husband. He better fucking check. I'm going to text text him right now. now. (laughs) Check check the the tire pressure. pressure. (laughs) So this argument broke out as they were walking together to check their mailbox. But it grew heated enough that Arliss, who was devoutly religious, told her husband that she wanted to go pray alone in order to cool down. You know it's bad if your partner is going, I need to go pray on this alone. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like, healthy boundaries. But you fucked up. But, yeah, check the goddamn tire pressure. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) he's arguing with me about whether to check the tire (laughs) pressure. God damn it. Tell him you need to pray on it. Yeah. I need to pray on you. Tell him not to, to bother you because you need to pray on this. Sir, you need to pray on this. I've texted it. He has no idea what's going on. <laughs> he's still in bed, probably. No, he's at work. Oh, right. He has a day job. <laughs> you need to pray on that. I There's need to bubbles. pray on this. There's bubbles. There's dots. He's typing. Three dots. What in the hell are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so as Lucy prayer hands. <laughs> okay. So. As Corey worries that this will be his last day on earth, we continue our case. Okay, I hope you got your laughs out because then it gets oh, really fuck. fucking dark. Okay. So she walked to the Stanford Memorial Church on campus and Bruce returned home alone. At this point, it's around 11.30 p.m. So like. That's late. That's a little bit late to be out alone. Praying. Yes. Yes. If I'm praying. (laughs) (laughs) Churches are open all night. On life. When Arliss had still not returned home by 3 a.m. Ooh, scary. Bruce, who had been growing increasingly concerned, called the Stanford police to report her missing. Mm -hmm. And I'm not blaming him, but I feel like I would have maybe gone and checked on her a little bit Mm -hmm. earlier than that. Maybe he fell asleep and then woke up at three and she wasn't there. Yeah, Yeah, I would totally do that. I'd be like, my shithole husband's not home. I get the whole bed to myself. (laughs) And then get up to piss at 3 a.m. and go, oh, fuck. It's not (laughs) our home. Mm-hmm. He's still not out. Mm-hmm. I wonder if he turned around and walked back into the strip club like that time that my ex-partner did that when we were leaving the strip club. Uh, let's remind ourselves of that incident off air. Uh, oh, it was the best. I went to a strip club with Rhymes with Flam. Okay. And we had a wonderful time. With like and, a group of friends. Well, no, there was one other friend with us. <laughs> a small group. It was a small, yeah, three is a small group. And I was like, you know, it was the end of the night. I was a little horned up. I was like, let's go home. Let's take this. And venture to the bedroom, and he's like, okay. And I had biked there. 
<laughs> so I got on my bike and he came outside with me and he was going to get in a cab and I was like, okay, I'll see you back at the house. And then I get home and like half an hour goes by. He's still not home. Another he like went back in, he had turned around and just went back into the strip club with our friend and just stayed there. Oh my God. It got home at like three in the morning. No. Yeah. No. That was the beginning of the end. It should have been, but I was young and stupid. Kenyon's face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I knew that story, but rehearing it. Is still a lot. Yeah. Process. You biked there. I biked home. <laughs> from the strip. I club. I assumed that you had like gotten in an argument and he went back inside. Oh, well, we he got just, an argument he later. <laughs> he just we lived together and he just ghosted me. <laughs> I can't. After the promise of sex. Yes. Oh, oh god. god. Okay. So anyway, <laughs> fucking idiot. He's going on my list. Oh, he's on mine. All right. So <laughs> that's fucked up. So anyway, um, he called. So Bruce called the Stanford police to report her missing. And Stanford police contacted the Santa Clara County Sheriff's Office, which sent some officers over to investigate. However, to the church. When- well, that was the last place that he had he seen her. He knew she was heading. Yeah. That's where like, the cops went? Yes. They probably went to his house and checked in with him and yeah. then yeah. figured so, out where he knew she was last or thought he knew she was. That's what I'm assuming happened as well. Mm-hmm. So, however, when the officers arrived at the church, they found all of the doors locked and no sign of anyone around. Ooh. They interviewed a campus security guard who was on duty that night named Stephen Blake Crawford and he told them that he had locked the doors to the church shortly before midnight and while making his rounds had checked the church again around 2 a.m. but found the door still locked and reported seeing nothing out of the ordinary. Okay. Then around 5.45 a.m., Crawford, who actually, so this is the security guard, and he actually was a former Stanford police officer himself. Mm-hmm contacted police to report that he had discovered a body in the church. So probably when he like unlocked it in the morning and was checking inside. Yeah. According to one unconfirmed report, his exact words when he contacted police were, hey, we've got a stiff here. Oh, my God. Like, uh, okay. A little (laughs) casual. A little cash. Oh, I guess you're saying he used to be a cop, right? He used to be a cop. Okay. Then. All right. Now. Yeah. Okay. It's still shitty, but I. Yeah. So when police arrived to investigate, Crawford led them to Arliss's body. The church was laid out in the shape of a cross, and her body was in one of the arms of the cross near an altar. So like towards the, I don't know if you would call that, I guess you would call that the back Mm -hmm. and on one of the sides. She had been stabbed in the back of the head with an ice pick. No. No. Yeah, this this 19-year-old little bitty baby. And then placed face up with her hands folded across her chest. So like like, positioned. Yeah, the the post-mortem positioning, that really freaks me the fuck out. Mm -hmm. I I don't. I don't like it. The ice pick, and I told you this is going to be brutal, and we got to thank our fan picker. Uh Uh-huh. The ice pick remained in her head but the handle had broken off and was nowhere to be seen. Oh. Oh, my Lord. The, f- oh, okay. 
she was naked from the waist down and a three foot long altar candle had been used to no no i'm not gonna say it and then another was placed between her breasts oh the jeans that she had been wearing were arranged over her legs in the shape of a diamond so like weirdly folded Hmm. in addition to the ice pick injury life you know fatal injury there were also signs of strangulation Raul Niemeyer, a since-retired Stanford police captain, later said in an interview, quote, I could not believe what I was seeing. I had a few homicides in my day, but I had never seen anything so eerie. That is brutal. Yeah. 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 Yep. Ish. When he was interviewed again by police, Crawford, the security guard, told them that he discovered the body when he had returned to the church to open it for the day. He also reported that he had found a door on the west side of the church open and that it appeared to have been forced open from the inside. Okay, so it's like someone was lurking in there. Somebody was, like, yeah, hidden in there. Huh. Because he had checked all the doors, presumably, if he was doing his job, according to him. He had, like, checked all the doors earlier in the night at, like, 2 a.m. Right. And everything seemed okay from the outside. Uh Uh-huh. But he hadn't checked inside. So Ken Kahn, who was a detective with the Santa Clara Police Department at the time, said in later interviews that one of their initial theories was that Arliss had gotten locked inside the church with her killer and that, quote, he snuck up behind her, murdered her, and then broke out the side door. The crime scene did contain some physical evidence, including semen that was found on a kneeling pillow near her body. Oh, And a partial palm print that was found on one of the altar candles. Okay. Both the semen and the palm print were tested against both the husband, Bruce Perry, and the guard, Stephen Crawford, but neither was found to be a match. Okay. There was also speculation that Arliss's murder could be connected to two other murders of young women in the Stanford area that had taken place in the past year, Mm. but police did not believe it was the same killer. Okay. So these two murders were of 21-year-old Janet Ann Taylor and 21-year-old Leslie Perlov. And so like the age fit, but anyway. So these would eventually be attributed to a man named John Gutru. Mm. Gutru? I don't know how you're supposed to say that. After uh, new DNA evidence came to light in 2018. So very wow. recently. It took a very wow. long time to solve both of these. Yeah. And similarly, Arliss Perry's murder would go unsolved for more than 40 years. Damn. Ugh. In this time, a link developed between Arliss's murder and the Son of Sam killings. Mm-hmm. So we have covered Son of Sam. I know I covered him for... Mm-hmm. Maybe that was the case where we talked a lot about Satanic Panic. I don't yeah, know. It's that episode. It's come up a lot. It has. So this is because after David Berkowitz wrote several letters to authorities and journalists in which he claimed to have information about the murder. Mm-hmm. After his arrest, he sent letters from prison to multiple California law enforcement officers claiming to have learned details of the murder from a man who had done it, a man he referred to as Manson the Second. Okay. In one 1979 letter, he wrote, Arliss, which he misspelled, Perry, hunted, stalked, and slain, followed to California, Stanford University. Oh. In 1981, Detective Ken Kahn got a letter from Berkowitz in which he claimed that he had once attended a cult meeting in Queens 
during which a member of the cult claimed to have committed the murder. I don't know why we're listening so much to this guy who thought that his neighbor's dog was Satan, but Talking to it. Yeah, I, yeah. So Khan, the detective, along with other investigators, traveled to New York to interview Berkowitz about this claim. But Berkowitz refused to reveal the killer's identity. Oh, weird. I wonder why. Jesus. Khan concluded that, quote, Berkowitz didn't really know anything about the case and was just kind of jerking us around Mm -hmm, for attention and whatever. Yeah. An investigative reporter named Maury Terry traveled to Bismarck. Remember, that's where where um, she's from, right? Where she's from. Mm Mm-hmm. To interview Arliss's family and friends, largely based on his interest in the Son of Sam connection to the case, which there is no connection besides David Berkowitz trying to invent one, but at least it got some attention, I guess. Mm -hmm. I don't know. He did not learn much, but did hear a strange anecdote about some confusion that had arisen from someone with Bruce's exact name living on the Stanford campus. A quick anecdote. Causing Bruce and Arliss's loved ones to have a hard time getting in touch with them after they first moved to campus. Interesting. In a September 27th, 1974 letter to her friend that was shown to Maury Terry, Arliss wrote, quote, I had to laugh about your call to Bruce Perry. Mrs. Perry made the same mistake. She called them too. But the strange part of it is that his name is not only Bruce Perry, but it is Bruce D. Perry. And not only that, it is Bruce Duncan Perry, and he attends Stanford University, and he just got married this summer. One thing, his wife's name is not Arliss. Anyway, next time you get the urge to call, the number is blah, blah, blah. This time, I guarantee you'll get the right Bruce Perry. Bruce, they're both named Bruce Duncan Perry. Mm-hmm. That's an odd coinky-dink. is really weird. Mm-hmm. Terry also, so the journalist, also learned that a rumor had been going around in Bismarck that there was a cult in town and that before her move to Stanford, Arliss had gone to one of their meetings with a friend in an attempt to convert them to Christianity because, remember, she was very devout. Right, 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 right. There was speculation in town that Arliss had learned something she wasn't supposed to know and that the cult had followed her to California and killed her and then this would align with the son of Sam claim that she had been followed to California. Who has time? Right? Without the internet. Yeah. That's a lot more work. This Bismarck (laughs) cult. Right. Yeah. Small town Dakotas. Yeah. However, as these rumors only arose after Arliss's death, they were likely just a reaction to some of the gruesome details in the Mm -hmm. case and people, you know, making shit up. Despite no new leads emerging for decades, the case of Arliss's murder remained open and was routinely reviewed by the Santa Clara Sheriff's Office, probably because it was just so horrific and brutal and she was so young. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Then in 2018, as a result of more advanced DNA testing, Mm -hmm. police were able to match... Stephen Blake Crawford's DNA to DNA that had been left on Arliss's clothing. No way. That's the janitor? The security guard. No way. The one they cleared? Mm -hmm. The The ex-cop? Uh-huh. Not at all surprised. Okay. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yep. He who smelt it fucking dealt it. We got a stiff in here. That's all. We have a stiff. I can't. Mm-hmm. What a fucking piece of shit. That is Un- fucking brutal. Ugh. On June 28th, 2018, Ugh. police arrived at Crawford's residence in San Jose, California, 
However, 73-year-old Crawford locked his door and shot himself in the head with a pistol before he could be arrested. Fucking asshole. You know she wasn't the only one either. Oh, Oh. absolutely not. With a display like that, a literal display, Mm. he's done something like this Mm -hmm. fucking before. And probably hidden behind Uh, all the satanic panic bullshit. He gets his jollies and deflects culpability. Mm -hmm. Folds her jeans. All of a sudden, it's a Satanist. She was just there trying to pray. Yep. Because her husband would be a turd. She was probably mm-hmm. kneeling, praying, mm-hmm. and he came up behind her. Mm-hmm. Ugh. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. When police searched his home after his death, they found the jacket cover of Maury Terry's book about David Berkowitz. So he had been like reading up on mm-hmm. Old the case. Ew. That book is called The Ultimate Evil, which discusses Arliss's murder, as well as a two-year-old two suicide note he appeared to have written after he was interviewed by a detective during one of the regular ongoing interview reviews of the case. So he had mm. been interviewed for years and years every time they like picked back up this case. And he probably in the, you know, around 2016 was probably realizing like they're going to retest this DNA uh-huh. and they're going to be able to actually match it. And so he wrote a suicide note and then he knew when the police walked up to his door, he knew the jig was up. Oh my God. He was a, he was like an expert witness. Uh-huh. They probably for had years. They probably had their guard down every time they talked to him because he'd uh-huh. been cleared so long ago, and he was a fellow cop essentially. Uh huh. And he knew how to play him. Uh-huh. Uh huh. His his suicide left Arliss's surviving family frustrated by the lack of understanding yep. of what motive he could have possibly had for killing there's Arliss. There's no fucking closure. That well, there's, way. there's no. I mean, the motive is he is a fucking murderous predator. That's right. the motive. He had an opportunity. Right. But they don't, the, the family doesn't get to, the, to yeah. see their day in court. Of course not. Yeah. Because he's a coward. And I don't say that about people who die by suicide regularly, but this guy is a fucking murderer. Rapist. rapist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. he he did this for cowardly reasons. So- a San Jose journalist named Scott Herhold, who covered the case extensively, has proposed that Crawford was motivated by his anger at the university. So Crawford had begun working as a police officer with the Stanford Department of Public Safety in 1971 after leaving the Air Force. And, well, we won't get into that, but there's the guy who they suspect is the Zodiac had also oh. like formerly been in the Air Force. Anyway. However, the next year, the, a new police chief reassigned him to the nighttime security guard position because he did not believe him to be qualified to carry a gun. Mm-hmm. He probably was like, he probably fucked up mm-hmm. somehow. And they were like, you're being demoted mm-hmm. to security guard. And he was like, how dare you? Mm-hmm. I'm amazing. Mm-hmm. So according to Herhold, quote, he complained bitterly about it. He told friends he did not like what they were doing to him. After his demotion, Crawford began stealing things from offices when he patrolled at night. And some believe that Arliss's murder was an escalation of his rage against Stanford University. Mm-hmm. Could so be. He killed an innocent girl while she was praying in a church. Yeah. yeah. Makes but sense. So like, yeah. I, I feel like. he was butthurt about being a nighttime security guard when uh-huh. he deserves to be more he revered to carry than a that. Gun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's disgusting. 
So Arliss's sister stated in a recent interview uh, that her mother was, quote, still struggling with the why. Mm -hmm. She went on to say, I said, you know, mom, I don't think we're ever going to know the why. Oh, God, that is so fucking heartbreaking. Yeah. So anyway, that is the fan pick case. It's a famous one. It is tragic. It is so heartbreaking what happened to this young woman. I wonder, and that so the fucking guy just the lived name, his whole life. the The name coincidence really had, was unrelated. Red herring. That's so weird, that though. Is so weird. What a weird red herring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ugh. Mm-hmm. Wow. Jesus. Wild. Yeah. Well, okay. Good job. I mean, you did great. <laughs> I'm yeah. sorry that the fans keep doing this to you specifically. Hmm. Oh, she chose it. <laughs> I mean, it is a good twist, mm-hmm. I will say. You love a twist. Uh, in Allie Johnson's defense, they did say in their email, if it's too gruesome, you don't have to cover it. True. But we've done worse. We've done worse. Mm-hmm. It's fine. Yeah. That was pretty bad, but we've done worse. Yeah. Anyway, let's so take anyway. a quick word from our sponsor. Mental health break. <laughs> So believe it or not, the holidays are right around the corner. Cue the heartburn. Mm-hmm. But if you want help prepping for your parties and family get-togethers, all while supporting a more sustainable local food system, you got to mm-hmm. check out Imperfect Foods. It's seriously amazing. Imperfect Foods is a grocery delivery service offering an entire line of sustainable groceries that taste delicious and reduce waste, which is like, those are two of my favorite things. You can make a difference in our food system and embrace the natural imperfections and get your groceries delivered weekly with Imperfect Foods. Okay, this actually blew my mind. So in the last year, 35% of the food supply went unsold or uneaten in the United States. 35%. That's unacceptable. It is unacceptable. And Imperfect Foods is actively working to turn this around by sourcing foods that would otherwise fall through the cracks of our food system. So like maybe that carrot that just doesn't look super pretty, but it tastes just as delicious. It's just not getting love at the grocery store. And you can get that beautiful carrot that is waiting for you in your Imperfect Foods box. So visit imperfectfoods.com to see if they deliver in your area. I have been using Imperfect Foods for years. This is like one of the first delivery, uh, grocery delivery services I ever signed up for. I was using it before the pandemic. And it's an absolute game changer. And people think that all you can really get from it is produce, but you can get so many grocery items and staples. And there are like Imperfect Foods brand snacks and all kinds of things you would already be buying that you can get with your Imperfect Foods delivery order. It is phenomenal. And you can say goodbye to packaging guilt. Imperfect Foods is the only national grocery delivery company that makes it easy to return your packaging after every order. I love that so much. It's awesome. <laughs> it's awesome. And it's being delivered, so you're mm-hmm. not there's aren't those emissions when you like go to the grocery store with your car. Yeah. Yeah. It's you're really like locking into that sustainability with Imperfect Foods. It's phenomenal. Oh, I love it. So right now, Imperfect Foods is offering our listeners 20% off your first four orders when you go to imperfectfoods.com and use promo code GALS, G-A-L-S. Again, 20% off your first four orders. That is up to an $80 value. 
Whoa. Yeah, at imperfectfoods.com when you use promo code GALS. One more time, imperfectfoods.com. Use code GALS and treat your pantry. Treat it. So obviously we love wine on this show. That is not a secret. <laughs> not duh. And, and not a secret. And for especially myself and Kenyon, that comes with something that we don't super love because we like red wine mm-hmm. and you get wine mouth. I hate the wine mouth. It's a tough situation and red wine is rough on your teeth. <laughs> like the whiteness of your teeth. So, you know, when you're enjoying that nice glass of red wine with friends and you go to the bathroom and notice your teeth are completely stained, like you've just eaten beets. <laughs> They're like gray. <laughs> it's not It's not a good look. <laughs> But we recently discovered a new product, and the company that makes it is actually sponsoring us for this episode. Thank God they have chosen us. We needed them. (laughs) So I love when we get to talk about something that actually works and that we love to use. And Lucy, take it away, because I cannot wait to gush about this product. Uh, Yeah, this product is Lumino, and Mm -hmm. it is a game changer in terms of whitening products. Mm -hmm. So their Ultra Bright Pen is the newest product from Lumino. This product does two things at once. It works as a stain guard, so you can prevent staining with it. And it also whitens your teeth. So it's also like, you know, kind of restored. It restores that whiteness Mm -hmm. after the fact. So you brush the gel on your teeth before you're drinking your red wine, your coffee, tea, whatever, whatever it is. All of the above in a single day, yeah. if you're if you're like me. <laughs> and then you can enjoy your Merlot without the risk mm-hmm. of wine mouth, the dreaded wine right. mouth. So like dreaded. Dreaded. So like all Lumino products, the Ultra Bright Pen is certified non-toxic, microbiome safe, and it won't cause sensitivity. That is my biggest beef with yes. traditional whitening products, is because the they sensitivity. make sensitivity. They make my teeth so sensitive. It's yeah. horrible. So that's why yeah. I'm all on board with Lumino's entire line of products. Mm-hmm. Lumino is illuminating better ideas in oral care, and you can get 15% off on Lumino.com using our code GALS, and I will spell that for you. It is L-U-M-I-N-E-U-X.com, the fancy way of spelling Lumino. And mm. don't forget to use our code GALS for 15% off and treat your teeth. Treat them. Who doesn't love to live well, to be perfectly at ease in comfort and style? Hunter Douglas can help you do just that with their innovative window shade designs, gorgeous fabrics, and control systems so advanced they can be scheduled to automatically adjust to their optimal position throughout the day. The future is now. It's right now. Mm -hmm. And perhaps it's the way the shades diffuse harsh sunlight to cast a beautiful glow across the room. Or being able to enjoy the view outside the window while protecting your privacy inside. Because I don't know about you, but I never want to be seen by anyone Mm -hmm. at any time. Ever. Ever. And maybe it's the superior insulation that the shades provide, keeping you warmer in the winter and cooler in the summer, and therefore lowering utility bills. Mm -hmm. It's incredible all around. Or is it simply that Goldilocks moment when you walk into a room and everything about it looks and feels just perfect, picture perfect. And when you tap into Hunter Douglas's PowerView technology, your shades can be set to automatically reposition 
for the perfect balance of light, privacy, and insulation. That's uh. all day long, morning, noon, and night. I can tell you when I first moved into our house, mm-hmm. it took me like a solid nine months to put up window treatments, to put up any sort of shades. Right, right. And it wasn't great. First of mm-hmm. all, you don't want 100% light all the time. Second no. of all, you don't know who could see you in your home mm-hmm. in the evening. So I'm a big proponent of window coverings in general. Yeah. And Hunter Douglas just has the most beautiful selection. And obviously, the, this Future is Now control system is just absolutely, it's innovative. It's so cool. You're going to love it. So live beautifully with Hunter Douglas, enjoying greater convenience, enhanced style, and increased comfort in your home throughout the day. Oh, I love that. Visit HunterDouglas.com gals today to take advantage of the season of style rebate savings event. That's HunterDouglas.com gals for limited time savings. Offer expires December 6th, 2021. And treat your home. Treat it. All right. Are we ready for my case? Maybe. Is it better or worse? No one dies. Oh, oh great. Okay. And I, I really it. love, after Kenyon covered her case, my case literally starts with me saying, in true Amanda fashion, I'm going to cover a pretty famous case that I had never heard of. <laughs> so, just pretend that you don't know stuff if you've heard Okay. Okay. So we're going to go back to Texas in 1991, where the grip of satanic panic still had its iron hold on white folks all over the state. As did hairspray. Yes. It's iron grip. It's iron grip it's on, iron those, grip on the bangs of, of the Texas giant, elite. giant, giant canister of hairspray. Yeah, is the hole in the ozone layer just above Texas? Yeah. <laughs> Dallas-Fort Worth shaped. Mm-hmm. And my mom's car. That yeah. too. <laughs> the grip was so much held, in fact, that a small faction of dedicated therapists would meet monthly in a community room in South Austin to discuss the perils of Satanism and how they believed it manifested in the patients they worked with. Therapists. People have too much fucking time on their hands. Yeah. They referred to these patterns as SRA or satanic ritual abuse and alleged that the majority of victims of SRA were children with spotty memories of the incidents or occasionally adults whose memories of SRA had been recovered, quote unquote, through therapy. It's bullshit. It's, oh yeah, absolutely. The stories were usually the same across the board. Victims reporting sexual abuse in the form of inappropriate touching that escalated to rape. This is not uncommon and these reports are to be believed where things get muddy is the sexual abuse turning into bizarre satanic rituals, forced injections of hallucinogenic drugs, and forceful consumption of blood, feces, and flesh. Which is, again, yeah. not to say that never happens, but that people all over the country, after like seeking therapy, are now remembering, and I'm using a lot of air quotes, these yeah. really horrific accounts that are very similar all over the yeah. place. It's you just, just have like, to be so careful. Like, mm-hmm. memories can be repressed. Absolutely. I believe that. Especially traumatic memories or mm-hmm. memories of abuse. I believe that. But mm-hmm. when you're dealing with that, you just need to be so careful not to suggest. Invent, implant. Suggest. Yeah, exactly. Literally mm-hmm. implant. Right. 
But people really believed that children were the victims of their parents, grandparents, and great-grandparents in generations-old satanic cults indoctrinating them into the next generation of Satanist devil worshippers. What it's we not forget, genetic. No, I know. <laughs> it's tradition. I know. Yeah. <laughs> what we forget is it's that children, heritage. especially children of abuse or, or trauma, are impressionable, as is anybody who is in that vulnerable state. Mm-hmm. And if therapists who are licensed and trusted to help are subscribing to outlandish shit, mm-hmm. they're in a position to potentially use their influence to plant false memories and get false reports from clients. And when did the satanic orgies begin? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Brendan Dassey. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, poor Brendan Dassey. So in 1991, a three-year-old girl was seeing a therapist to work through behavioral challenges that she was having that were brought on by the trauma of her parents' divorce. Oh, God, three years old. Mm-hmm. You could suggest literally anything. They'll go with it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and she was already really struggling. Like, she was lashing out violently. Mm-hmm. And that's why her parents, you know, rightfully so, enrolled her, therapy, her yeah. with a therapist to give her some tools for a young child to do some emotional regulation. During these sessions, the therapist alerted her parents that she, the, the, the client, the little girl, had alluded in their session to sexual abuse taking place at her daycare. The daycare she attended was run by Fran and Dan Keller in Oak Hill, Texas, a little neighborhood of Austin. The place was small, like the daycare was small and idyllic. It was run out of the charming cottage that they lived in full time. They only cared for 15 children per day and had bunnies, a pony, a playground, and a swimming pool. It was literally my heaven. Oh, oh my God. Wow. Yeah, like a really, really nice small daycare. When these accusations came out, the child's mother contacted the police to report this incident and pulled her child out of the daycare, which, again, that's, that's- the right call. Yeah, yeah. The prosecuting attorney assigned to this case had a friend whose child was also enrolled in this daycare, so he alerted them immediately, and that child was being seen by the same therapist who made the initial report. So two kids from this daycare are being seen by the same therapist. That's just a coincidence. Which is just a coincidence, yep. More and more parents were pulling their kids from Oak Hill, and Fran remembers getting ready for work one day to realize only two children were dropped off. She okay, was so word spread when really the prosecuting really attorney really should not have yep. spread the word. Charges but I haven't even been. I get it. I get it too. Because you want to protect kids. Absolutely. And if you truly believe it, you this would. part of the story I like don't have a problem with. This is like, all you're human nature kids. at this point. Yep, yeah. you're believing your child who's saying that they've experienced abuse in their daycare, and you're trying to protect your children. I have no problem with this whatsoever. Right. All your kids from the daycare. Right. But also maybe get a second and third opinion from other therapy. Therapy. (laughs) Therapy. So Fran, one of the the wife and one of the co-owners of the daycare, was visited by a police officer who explained that Dan had been accused of abusing a child. She felt sick to her stomach and knew this couldn't possibly be true, which like anyone whose partner or loved one is accused of something horrific is going to be like, no way. There's no fucking way that happened. Right. Um, as the story began to spread like wildfire, children at the daycare started to have similar stories about what was going on there. They claimed that Fran and Dan forced them to drink Kool-Aid with blood in it, that they would put on white robes and light candles and then abuse them, that they forced them to watch videos of animal abuse and dismemberment, that they'd seen the Kellers shoot someone passing by either the... I got kind of conflicted stories, so... Oh, did you? I did, yeah. (laughs) It's going to sound weird, but 
They, some of the stories were the like three year olds had lined up. Yeah. There. Some of the stories were saying that the kids were taken to like a graveyard and forced to like bury animals alive. And then somebody passing by the graveyard, the, the, the Keller shot them. And then another okay. one was like, this was somebody passing by the daycare. So a passerby of somewhere, it's not real, so it doesn't matter, right. was shot and killed by, or shot by the Kellers and then cut up with a chainsaw while the children watched. Uh-huh. That the Good Kellers Lord. forced the children to engage in sexual acts with adults and each other while being filmed. Weird how no tapes ever were found, but uh, again, it's possible. Some even claimed that the Kellers would fly the children, like the children were saying that they would fly them to Mexico after being dropped off at daycare to be sexually assaulted by soldiers specifically in Mexico and then fly them back to Austin before their parents had to pick them up from daycare that night. Yeah. See, when, once you start getting into some of the wilder shit, that's when you need to be like, okay, okay. what's going on here? Yeah. Let's, let's unpack this more with a different professional a little objective Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so they were also accused by the children of burying kids alive with animals throwing them in a swimming pool with sharks but somehow they put sharks in their little pool in the backyard in austin texas Texas. okay all right okay that some of the children were shot Mm -hmm. and their parents just didn't notice didn't didn't notice when they came to pick them up here's why because then they'd be resurrected after being shot Oh. So that explains that. She okay. turned me into a newt. Oh, I great. got better. Well, I got better. <laughs> so this is obviously a lot. Okay. Once these stories began to circulate in the press, adults with, quote, recovered memories of satanic ritual abuse came forward to claim that this must be what's happening in the daycare because they had had similar experiences as children. Parents were beside themselves and came together to file charges against Fran and Dan. Children were round up and subjected to repeated questioning by therapists and law enforcement, and accusations were flying around to teachers, public officials, and police officers alike of SRA. So it was just like... And I saw goody Fran with the devil. Exactly. Exactly. Quote, Uh. this country hasn't seen anything like it since the Salem witch trials, Texas Monthly wrote in 1994. From the Washington Post, quote, worried parents sent their children to therapists where they came back with tales pulled straight from horror movies. At one point in the investigation, the statesman wrote, police had a a suspect list of 26 ritual abusers, including many of the Keller's neighbors and respected uh, and a respected Austin police captain. So they were just like throwing fucking allegations everywhere to Mm -hmm. anyone who even like knew the Kellers. Mm -hmm. Jesus. Outside of like having their child in the daycare. Oh, God. The literal panic just kept escalating in outlandish ways, and parents began to reinterpret day-to-day activities at the daycare as sinister omens, like how the kids would be sent home with, like, little American flags one day, and the parents interpreted these gifts as, like, a reminder not to tell. It's like the So they're just, like, seeing shit. It's like the case that I covered in, in, like, that Scottish Mm -hmm. aisle where they were, like, yeah. Oh, remember it's a you like turtles? Mm-hmm. The turtles. Yeah. Oh, the turtles. So it's worth noting, too, that by this time in the world, the bulk of satanic panic had kind of subsided. Like, this was the early 90s. Texas but yeah. is a little behind. Texas was holding tight despite world news reports debunking the majority of the panic in the 80s. 
Quote, these tales are usually just that, figments of imagination, the New York Times wrote in 1994, citing a study by the National Center on Child Abuse and Neglect that found not a single substantiated case of cult sex abuse among more than 11,000 cases reported to psychiatric and police workers. So these Look, cases children, were prevalent and none of them were confirmed. Like, if you're worried about child abuse, like, be worried about child abuse that actually happens. Right. And do something about it. Like, there is a lot of child abuse in the foster care system. There's a lot. There are, like, trans children, you know, forced from their homes mm -hmm. and living on the street. There, you know, like... Abuse happens, it's happening. and yeah. you should care about it and try to do something about it. Tom Hanks and Hillary Clinton mm -hmm. aren't. Yeah, you don't in need to invent. Aren't trafficking your kids? Shit to worry about. There's exactly. plenty of real shit to worry about. Yeah, exactly. <sighs> so what? In might have been a bad call, but also I get it. Fran and Dan left the state hoping to get the satanic heat off of them. They hadn't faced charges yet. Like no charges had I'd been brought on I'd fucking get out of there too. I know. Yeah. I don't, I don't blame them, but they later explained that they did this in order to avoid false charges. But obviously fleeing does look super sus. Authorities had already closed the daycare at the time that they fled the state, but this did not keep them from receiving charges. And after a six day trial, they were sentenced to 48 years each for aggravated assault. Oh, my the God. The trial was six days long. Six days. The evidence, question mark, the children's statements and one alleged wound on a child's vagina. And we'll get to it. That's it. That's the only evidence that put them both behind bars for 48 years. Oh, my God. Despite at least one of the children in court having this exchange while on the stand. So this says, on the witness stand, the little girl, which obviously they're all minors at this time, so there are no names, mm -hmm. sat on her older sister's lap chewing on a lollipop. Did Danny ever touch you in a way you didn't like? Assistant District Attorney Judy Shipway asked. No, she replied. Did Fran ever touch you in a way you didn't like? Shipway asked. No, the girl replied. Shipway tried a different approach. Did Christina tell anyone else that Danny had hurt her? Oh, I guess I do use her name. She did not reply. Shipway asked if Christina would like to, quote, whisper to me her answer. No, she said. Christy, when you say no, do you mean you don't want to talk about it? Or do you mean no, it didn't happen? No, it didn't happen, Christina replied once, and then again, no, it didn't happen. But did you tell somebody it happened, Shipway asked? Yes, 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 she answered. So this girl said- can, You can just, you can, a yeah. three-year-old, you can make, say, whatever you anything, want to hear. Anything. Wouldn't be that hard. No. Uh, yeah. And I don't know if this was that exact- child but one but of the children in the child, daycare a child in daycare exactly so likely around the same age it has to, you know they have to be young mm -hmm. if, it, if they're in year-round daycare they're not in school right right god so fran and dan Sharks in yeah. their suburban pool pool i know flights to mexico same day flights <laughs> to and from austin the couple, uh, Dan and Fran, were separated, obviously, and sent to their respective prisons, Fran to a women's penitentiary near Marlin, Texas, and Dan to a prison near Amarillo. They both were targeted within prison walls because of how universally hated perpetrators of child abuse are. Fran spent most of her time in prison evading attacks from other in inmates with boiling water and housemaid shanks. 
Oh, my God. Yeah. For 22 years, they lived this way, never seeing each other and just trying to survive and piece together how the fuck they got here in the first place. They didn't do anything. Nope. Stories and headlines about satanic panic and the daycare faded, and so did Fran and Dan for most people. But some allies remained and fought to defend their innocence. I'm surprised anyone was willing to own a daycare ever again. I know. I'd be like, nah. I'm out. Yeah, Sorry. Not worth it. Watch not your worth own it. damn kids. Not in yep. fucking Texas. Nope. Fuck no. The Kellers caught a bit of a break in March of 2009. Oh my God. They were sentenced in the early 90s. Jesus Christ. When the Austin Chronicle released an article called Believing the Children, which went over the original trial and was like an investigative expose. Mm-hmm. They state plainly in the article, quote, the Chronicle's reinvestigation of the Franz daycare case has revealed serious problems with the state's case against the Kellers, including questions about the quality and reliability of the state's medical evidence and forensic interviews. Moreover, the sensational nature of the charges themselves in a period of hysterical national rumors of <clears throat> about supposed satanic ritual abuse at daycare centers made it virtually impossible for the Kellers to receive a fair trial or even rational trial. Yeah, was the trial held in Austin? I believe so. It was held in Texas. Sounds like it. But that's what this article is saying, is that, like, they could have held it fucking anywhere. Mm -hmm. It was such a national Mm -hmm. sensation, the satanic panic shit. Did People Magazine exist at this time? I think it did. I think it did. The 90s? Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Finally, our investigation has uncovered potentially exculpatory evidence that the Keller's defense attorneys say they were not aware of at the time of the 1992 trial. In light of the problems with the original prosecution and this additional evidence, there remain substantive doubts that the, of, about the Keller's guilt. Indeed, it's an open question not only whether the Kellers were rightly convicted, but more fundamentally whether any crime ever happened at Franz Daycare at all. Mm-hmm. End quote. The only bit of physical evidence, like I said, presented at the trial originally had been an emergency room doctor's testimony regarding like a wound or a scratch. I couldn't really find out Mm -hmm. exactly what they said on a victim's vagina. Reevaluation of the case followed up with this doctor. So this Chronicle investigative team tracked this guy down. It was like, do you remember this? Yeah. What, What was it? What the fuck? So I can't. He stated Quote, I'll be straight up honest with you. I could have been wrong and confess that he simply wasn't educated enough in female anatomy. Uh, oh, my fucking God. So he likely mistook uh, like a red mark, maybe a small scratch, like something that I mean, I'm sorry. Kids fucking explore their genitals. Shit kids happens. Are running around, They're running you're around jumping, playing. You're playing. You're climbing. You're riding trees. on a pony. Yeah. Oh my God! Yeah, mistook some totally <gasps> also, benign he's a doctor a who's doctor. not familiar with half the population's anatomy. Uh huh. And then testified in court and put two innocent. Literally, his testimony was the only physical yeah. evidence in this case. He put these people away for fucking 22 years it's of their lives. It's okay, people, oh, to say, God. I'm not sure. I, I don't know. I don't know. I can't confirm. It's so fucking unethical and disgusting. I think it's unethical. Oh, yes. And I just think it's so fucking mind-blowing and unethical and disgusting that a doctor can become a doctor mm-hmm. without being familiar with female anatomy. Well, you know. It's like okay. every Who cares fucking- about that? 
It's like every fucking drug study ever where they're just like, yeah, let's only test this on white men. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. It's, I, anyway. So after reading the expose in the Chronicle, a lawyer in Austin named Keith Hampton couldn't help but be horrified by this, by how this went in this case and began working to overturn the Keller's convictions. In 2013, their appeal began. Oh, my God. Focusing on the testimony of the ER doctor. Under oath at the appeal, the doctor confirmed he was mistaken and his previous testimony was false. This being the only physical evidence in the case, the court ruled to release the Kellers, who are now 68 and 72 years old. Oh, Oh. my God. I knew about the first half of this, but I had blocked out i think the mm-hmm. the convictions and the time they could have died in prison they could have they they could have regardless they, could have. they spent so much fucking time in prison their lives were destroyed completely destroyed but their freedom was tainted by court record and public opinion they were registered sex offenders in the eyes of the law. It would take another two years of court appearances for their co- their records to be completely scrubbed of all charges with the appeals court, who unanimously moved to release them and overturn their convictions, but refused to declare the Kellers innocent until 2015. That's and insane. what is always at the root of all fucking evil, capitalism. Turns out folks are eligible for $80,000 from the state of Texas per year. Many states have this spent in prison when wrongfully convicted, but they can only get that money if declared officially innocent by the court system. They didn't want to pay out? Yep. Yeah. So you can have your your sentence mm-hmm. overturned and you can be released from prison and still be guilty, like, mm-hmm. on the record. Yeah. And until they expunge that guilty and change it to innocent, the state doesn't have to pay you a fucking dime. Jesus. Oh so they just held out as long as they possibly could. So they were released in 2013, and then it wasn't until 2015. They fought for two fucking years in the court system to be like, no, we lost out on all of our livelihood and 22 fucking years of our lives and have nothing now. Like, you have to fucking pay. Oh, my God. And while they waited for their much-earned payout, the Kellers survived on meager social security checks and the financial support of their friends. And just a reminder that, like, these folks are white. This likely likely would have played out very differently if they had been people of color. They would have been lynched. I I mean, they they likely could have died in prison or just never been fucking released. Death Mm -hmm. penalty in Texas in the 90s. And Mm -hmm. so, like, if you're listening and, you know, it's, it's a fucked up, reminder of white supremacy that like it can take something like this where you can see yourself in this potential situation but like if you are sitting in white comfort thinking that like you're safe from systems of oppression especially in the justice system like you're not <laughs> like none of us are until everyone is so yeah. just like remember that but the Kellers are now free and they have $3.4 million that they received in nothing their- Nothing could replace what was nothing. taken from them. But I mean, at least they fucking got paid. Right, right. Yeah. And then they've spent their third act because now they're fucking elderly. Yeah. As activists helping others who are behind bars on wrongful convictions. Are they together? Because yes. they probably had no communication for None. They 22 did. years. I think they were able to write each other some letters and Ooh, the occasional have, phone call, but they didn't see each other for 22 years. I have goosebumps. This is horrible. Yeah. There's a fo- there's some photos of them on the drive, like 
after, I think one of them is them like holding hands right after they were released. Yeah. Oh, oh, look at Fran. She's so cute. I know. And then there's a picture of Fran who was like two years later on the phone hearing that their settlement is finally being paid. And she's just like sobbing. God. It's just, uh. it's just so much. And then, yeah, there's some photos of them when they first were arrested. Like just this mom and pop, you know. Yeah. Folks. She's so cute. I can't even get over how cute she is. And then, like, the torture that they endured in prison because Mm -hmm. they were so reviled in prison. Right. And they're completely fucking innocent. They they didn't do anything. Sweet little daycare with a pony. And, ah. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ. I mean, this could easily be like a therapist crimes episode because clearly some fucked up shit. And, you know, suggestive shit to vulnerable children was going on behind closed doors. And then it just like spread like wildfire. And suggesting shit to vulnerable children. I'm sorry. That is harmful. Yes. That's you abuse. are harming that child. Yeah. Where, where are those charges uh-huh. for people who maybe they were trying to help, but you caused trauma by inventing this shit in a young child's brain? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, 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 it goes deep, people. Wow. It's fucked up. But isn't that story (sighs) wild? That's wild. I had forgotten that they were convicted. I knew about the hysteria and everything, and I forgot just how far it went. This was just one of, around that time, a lot of these weird, like, daycare accusations, too. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I didn't remember this specific story, but I remember as I was doing my research, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember hearing about this. Mm-hmm. About, like, daycares all over the country, but mm-hmm. holy shit. Anyway, that's my case. Good Lord Almighty. Jesus. Yeah. Well, we started with daycare in this episode, and we ended with daycare. Yeah. Now Thanks, I'm going to go Allie care Johnson. for myself during the day. Thanks, Van yeah. Picker Allie. Self-care. Oh. <laughs> we'll talk to you next week. God bless. See you later. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Wine and Crime. Our cover art is by Kala Yip. Music by Phil Young and Corey Wendell. Editing by Jonathan Camp. Check out our website and blog at wineandcrimepodcast.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at wineandcrimepod. If you have questions, answers, or recommendations to share, email us at wineandcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, basically wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And if you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It is the best way to spread the word. If you'd like to show your support, visit our Patreon page to keep this podcast and the wine flowing. Cheers. Cheers.